नमस्ते एंड वेलकम टू अनदर एडिशन ऑफ द भारत वार्ता वीकली आई एम रोशन कारियप्पा आई हैव विद मी नीरव कनोद्रा एंड अभिषेक पॉल टू रन यू थ्रू द न्यूज एंड इवेंट्स ऑफ द वीक दैट वाज टू बिगिन विद वी रिकॉर्डिंग दिस अ डे लेटर बिकॉज़ नीरव हैड अ वेरी इंटरेस्टिंग सैटरडे मॉर्निंग नीरव यू वांट टू शेयर दैट या आई हैड सम फ्रेंड्स फ्रॉम ऑस्ट्रेलिया कमिंग एंड विजिटिंग सिंगापुर एंड वी ऑल डिसाइडेड टू गो वॉच द इंडिया ऑस्ट्रेलिया क्रिकेट गेम एट द सिंगापुर क्रिकेट क्लब सो दैट वाज लाइक एन इंटरेस्टिंग थिंग and uh, obviously the drinks were on me and the other indian guy yeah so that was like a fun event but it was like two one sided so absolutely we had a good time i think we'll talk about the match later but it was like a good saturday afternoon well spent yeah i mean the match was complete domination and completely one sided yeah we'll talk about the match and uh, a few other things as well uh, prime minister modi's uh, speech in parliament nsa ajit doval visiting us uk and russia Uh, and the unfortunate earthquakes in Turkey and Syria the recent discovery of lithium reserves in Jammu and Kashmir Pakistan being denied a loan by the IMF and so on before that we put out a pretty interesting episode uh, last week about Iran's rising influence and power its political background the tensions with America uh, and so on and so forth this is part of the Velina's talk series uh, i hope you did uh, check that out uh, if you haven't already then do check it out it's available on all podcast platforms if you're a new visitor we publish episodes on politics policy and culture every week well let's begin with the first piece of news so uh, turkey and syria were hit with a series of massive earthquakes that have devastated the countries the death toll estimates uh, fall between 20 to 30000 people and is expected to rise to more than 50000 with millions injured and displaced India was among the first countries to provide assistance with emergency medicines food and squads of NDRF to heal, help deal with the rescue mission uh, the mission has been named operation dost uh, avishek it's pretty unfortunate every day it seems like the death toll is rising but india is doing its bit yeah so i think the latest uh, death tolls is like 29000 right now plus right which is like 24000 in turkey and 5000 in syria 7.8 richter scale earthquakes are obviously going to be devastating right and this happened in obviously dense populated places right like southern and central turkey and northwestern syria were the most impacted places it seems there were more than 1000 aftershocks right after the major uh, initial earthquakes that happened so yeah i think it's a very sort of devastating situation there as you said the death toll is uh, you know rising constantly and uh, i mean it, it could go even beyond 50000 as you said right so yeah i mean india's among the countries which has tried its best to start helping uh, immediately right so we've sent our uh, disaster relief teams india has even uh, set up uh, field hospitals uh, with the indian army leading the mission on that uh, to treat uh, patients in turkey so yeah i think plenty of nations are trying their best to help out turkey and syria i think there has been some criticism about uh, the continuing sanctions on syria right uh, which does prevent some kinds of uh, help to flow in uh, so that remains a concern for syria but yeah i think a really unfortunate event and uh, i mean i do know of plenty of 
colleagues who have uh, you know relatives and friends in that area and obviously they have been also pretty badly you know impacted over the last week right uh, as you can imagine so yeah very uh, unfortunate sort of situation in turkey it's like one of the worst earthquakes in that region uh, for those countries in over 100 years so very unfortunate situation well we hope that situation improves uh, at the earliest Uh, the turkish ambassador uh, was quoted as saying a friend in need is a friend indeed uh, in response to india's operation dost moving on to some positive news on thursday the union government announced that 5.9 million tons of lithium reserves were found in the country for the first time in the salal haimana area of riasi district of jammu and kashmir this will be a big boost to the indian ev industry until now india had to depend on imports from chile and australia which were the two biggest sources of the mineral With this discovery, India joins a handful of countries like Chile, Australia, Argentina, China, and so on, uh, in having these lithium re- reserves. So, Nirav, should we brace ourselves for humanitarian crisis, environmental crisis, so on and so forth? I mean, but in all seriousness, I think you know, Jammu and Kashmir, the stakes have become a lot more higher now with this. Yes. So, a few things, right? So, one is this discovery has happened. Uh, this is is in the close in the Jammu part of Jammu and Kashmir. uh it is near the river chenab where there is a dam and a lot of people might know it's at the foothills of uh, vaishno devi shrine right a lot of uh people make religious pilgrimage to that so it's somewhere near that right it's in that region so i one thing is uh think about it as like something from energy security see we are moving away from like a hydrocarbon uh type of uh, energy to maybe a lot of transportation at least should be more electric and then that needs batteries and now batteries the most successful technology in battery chemistry right now is a lithium ion battery which are used on all our mobile phones as well as like a lot of electric cars uh, we also need nickel cobalt and other minerals as well but so this is something which is very critical now lithium is called white gold and uh, the biggest reserves are in chile australia china and australia china both have like roughly 5.7 6.0 million tons of reserves and now india has also leapfrogged in that so chile has about 9 million tons of reserves right so this is something which is critical the whole world will be needing uh, we've said this before and bharatwarta had episode before on like hydrogen and like how we will have like probably green hydrogen and we're moving from like a carbon oriented uh, uh, energy industry to maybe a hydrogen oriented uh, industry and so electricity hydrogen batteries all of these are like new forms of uh things which will be required right so this is very critical very very positive news i would say uh, i'm hoping it is like when countries have struck oil where like in the middle east or in venezuela etc right so this has that kind of a potential right now there are going to be things like oh does this belong to people of jammu and kashmir or is it india oh this is you will have people saying oh mining is uh, degrading the environment you will have people saying oh no uh, my religious sentiments are hurt if you are mining at the foothills of a shrine etc etc right so i think if mining done sensibly uh, responsibly ma- trying to manage the ecology around it etc uh, see there is we all need energy unless we go and live without energy and we don't want these batteries then that's fine and if you are importing it from elsewhere if you just get it at 
our own resource internally that's great second thing is i think the very good thing about article 370 now it's been a few years which has been passed basically there's no ambiguity it's a good thing that this has happened uh, hopefully we see a lot more investment over there we see a lot of people moving there uh, we get a lot of industries based out of this as i said this can be as huge as like countries which have like transformed uh, we don't want a resource curse but india is a very big country so to be affected by that resource curse kind of a thing but this is like a resource boom right it is like lithium is white gold so it is like striking oil somewhere and uh, as the world progresses maybe uh, we don't know there might be a better battery technology and maybe lithium prices won't be that high as well but still it's a good thing to have it's a good resource to have and uh, it's very interesting and uh, fingers crossed that india manages this resource well and with uh, it's not exploited just by global global mining majors there's some sort of a royalty etc and it is not even mismanaged by like indian psus etc what has kind of been uh, sadly done with like our coal reserves etc and uh, uh, i want to give a reminder like things can go bad as well a lot of aluminium reserves were in orissa and like you had like posco coming in to invest and then they were sent back or there's a lot of controversy around like the copper smelters in tutikore so like while i'm optimistic about lithium i think there are a lot of speed breakers in between right it's it's going to be like a long arduous journey and uh, we all need to like i think the government and like citizens need to think about like the greater good uh, need to think about what is the net positive impact on the country right it's called eminent domain if like some people are affected around that area maybe they need to be compensated in a certain way but i think there is a net positive benefit right so i think we need to think about eminent domain and we need to think about transfers of like wealth or whatever for people around as well but i think it is like a very big net positive uh, hopefully we overcome all the hurdles and uh, india becomes a big player in the energy space and this is what gives like middle east its geopolitical veto right like saudi arabia has like a big geopolitical veto because they are the swing producers of oil and now as we move towards like a different energy system lithium reserves being one of them like there's nickel there's cobalt and a lot of other things as well but lithium will be like a critical element so i think this lithium reserves gives us india like a geopolitical veto that you cannot easily vote against india otherwise we will stop our lithium exports right we can move the price of lithium so i think that can be but it's probably like a decade away but anyways it's a heartening news nevertheless yeah for sure and it also helps us you know on our goal to become atmanirbhar as well right so resources and resources and minerals are really important to that end moving on on thursday prime minister modi gave a speech in the parliament in reply to a motion of thanks on the president's address to parliament in this speech he took a jibe at the opposition saying that vote bank politics had slowed the country down while smaller ones grew he called 2004 to 2014 the lost decade saying the upa administration had a penchant for turning every opportunity into a crisis abhishek uh, this was all fireworks right i mean it was nice to see the prime minister speak in parliament after a while yeah so this happens sort of in every new session of parliament right to where post uh, the president's address first the opposition gets a chance generally they would go and attack the government i think this time the entire thrust of the attack of the opposition was around the 
Hindenburg Adani issue, right? With basically the allegations being that uh, Adani had profited a lot during the Modi government's tenure, basically. Right. And so there were a lot of attacks around that sort of area. So, I mean, the PM addressed both houses of parliament, uh, but uh, I mean, just to recount his speech on the Rajya Sabha, basically, as you said, he tried to draw a contrast between the performance of the UPA versus his own government. Right. So, as you said, he talked about 2004 to 14 being like a lost decade. Uh, he talked about the work done uh, by this government in areas like, uh, you know, opening of bank accounts, right, or providing gas connections, water connections, and so on, right. And so, basically, he talked about what he feels is uh, real secularism, right, which is ensuring that all public goods are provided to all sections of the society without uh, sort of any discrimination or corruption, right? So he also obviously talked about how there's no vote bank politics being done right now compared to, you know, how, uh, what had been happening in the UK era, right? So these were some of the key points, I think, uh, as a response to it outside the parliament, I think Shashi Tharoor talked about that this was a good speech, but it did not address the questions that the Congress party was raising. So, I mean, I think the government stand on the Adani issue has been pretty simple that uh, it is for the regulators to, you know, act on it. Right. And we are not going to influence the regulators in their response. So, which seems like a fairly sort of simple and logical uh, response. Now, of course, it's up to what sort of public perception is created over the next few months uh, leading up to 2024, right? In terms of whether uh, this allegation sticks or not, how Adani is able to sort of come out of the woods uh, in terms of it. But I think uh, one thing that is being acknowledged by everybody, including I saw on the New York Times, right, with some disappointment is that the Sadani crisis hardly made a dent on India's stock market, right? Like our markets proved to be totally resilient, right? And it's not dependent on one or the other company, right? So that has been a sort of positive to come out of this saga that India's, uh, you know, stock markets are really deep and resilient. Yeah, speaking about Adani, I mean, it will be a total meltdown if uh, Adani got the rights to mine lithium in Jammu and Kashmir, you know. <laughs> yeah, I probably think that is not going to happen <laughs> given the current environment. But I mean, this lithium thing is like, uh, it, it has the potential to be, you know, absolutely mind-blowingly positive, right? The only thing as Neerav said is we have to be circumspect given our record and track record in other parts of the country, right? Where there are so many people always looking to disrupt it. So, yeah, just uh, as, you know, a lot of businesses say, we remain cautiously optimistic. I think (laughs) that's the sort of sentiment I have about this thing, right? Like you have to, I mean, it's a very optimistic news. I think the caution is also well warranted because of our track record. 
yeah yeah well over the past week over the past week nsa ajit doval visited us uk and russia he met his counterparts uh, there and also president putin to discuss uh, india's security concerns in the us he met uh, jake sullivan and discussed uh, security in the indo pacific region in the uk he met uh, tim barrow and uh, prime minister rishi sunak their focus was the pro khalistani movement and the stalemate of the extradition of economic fugitives like nirav modi and vijay malya his third and final stop was russia where he met uh, president putin and attended a regional dialogue on afghanistan nirav what do you make of these trips uh, uh, fairly uh, regular or anything out of the ordinary so one thing is see i think india has been taking like a lot more proactive stance in like geopolitics and uh, over the last i would say few years to a decade right india has like stepped up a lot if you go 2004 to 14 like probably the last decade like earlier in the previous regime we were not talking as equals we were talking in a subordinate way right so i think doval uh, has like stepped up there quite a bit so obviously like this trip so in the us the focus was on afpak and the terrorist groups and uh, like taliban taking control over afghanistan pakistan being like in a little bit state of disorder right uh so that is the main agenda there then like in uk it is about like the bilateral relationship between uk and uh india and like trying to extradite a couple of people as you mentioned nirav modi the jeweler and vijay malya who have been like big defaulters on debt right and there are court pending court cases and probably i don't know the, the reason that they are still stuck around in the uk they are saying that they might get an unfair trial in india right that the indian government or the judiciary might be biased against them and now the last part is when he went to russia it's not just him meeting like his uh, counterpart it's like meeting putin directly right so obviously india has been one of the people who's like abstained to vote against russia in the un also india has been kind of neutral uh, while saying that we stand for peace so that is one thing uh, the war has dragged on almost for a year between russia and ukraine also like russia's influence in afghanistan and the central asian countries so i think that probably as well uh, comes in right so uh, this is something i think see it's a routine trip uh, but it also tells you the level where earlier like by protocol you would expect the head of state to meet the head of state right but given that doval is getting access to meeting putin as well uh, that just tells you one that the importance of india right like india has kind of stepped up to the big boys league and also the kind of importance that russia is giving india as well right like it's uh, uh, putin himself is meeting like the security advisor i think the talks whatever they are they're extremely high levels so obviously we are not privy to them but it shows uh, like the higher weightage that india commands and uh, that's that is what i would call a positive signal uh, like if what has happened is probably we are getting a seat at the table Uh, we don't have that much heft so now we want to temper it down as well we don't have that much heft where we say that hey we need to extradite these guys give it to us or like even in the us india has very limited leverage right like pakistan has been their long time ally etc and uh, so while things are turning a bit it's not as if we have like a lot of leverage there but slowly and steadily we are in- increasing right and i just want like this incremental growth keeps happening year after year decade after decade etc so i think that will be like a great thing so uh, obviously they've been raising like about like there's like lashkar e toiba jaish e mohammad and there are a lot of terror groups 
uh, which are operating in Afghanistan and Pakistan and like a lot of are not completely UN designated terror groups as well. So I think changing some status here and there. So those things would help. But as I said, like India does not have that much leverage. It is just getting a seat at the table right now, which itself is a positive. Uh, hopefully uh, things even improve from here on. Yeah, this is amazing. Uh, no doubt about it. In other global news, uh, the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, has rejected Pakistan's request to keep a door open for borrowing from the central bank amid the ongoing financial woes in the country. The IMF has demanded Pakistan to make some big changes in its policies like removing subsidies on fuel and increasing prices on electricity to reduce debt and so on. Pakistan's Interior Minister Rana Sanawala said that the government has accepted the terms which we were not in favor of, to quote. Uh, Nirav, again, you know, I mean, the crisis continues, the woes seem to pile on. Um, is there any optimism in sight for Pakistan? So, I'll tell you, like, the, say, Pakistan has had, like, a similar crisis, you would say, but at a much milder level than Sri Lanka, right? And, like, Sri Lanka had its own crisis due to COVID, tourism was hit, they went on organic farming, etc., etc. Pakistan also depends a lot more on foreign borrowing, right? So that kind of makes it fragile. Then the thing is, you can say what was good in the short run, right? Is uh, they can always get loans from the Middle East, from like Saudi, UAE, Qatar. Like they, they've always like kind of rotated around there. They've had US as an ally. So that's why IMF kind of gave them a lot more rollovers. Uh, you've had like China investing in CPEC and they got a lot of loans from China. India didn't have all of this. So that is why India, when it had its crisis with the IMF in 1990, in 1990-91, India had to take, swallow the bitter pill and do a lot of structural reforms, right? And that kind of had growth for the next two decades, you can say, right? So sometimes what I'm saying, what is like a short-term good where like they've been like very smart at leveraging something has actually been like a long-term bad. Like they've not developed, they've, they've got a lot of lower level industry, they've got like a lot of textile industry, agri-exports, etc. But they have like a big fundamental problem that they're consuming more than they can produce and export and they're consuming more via imports. India has a similar problem as well. A software services kind of fills the hole and remittances from overseas fills that hole, right? So they have that part. They don't have any like nascent growing industries. They have another issue where politically uh, they have to subsidize fuel, electricity, etc. So every, and because of when the prices are lower than actually what is it should be the demand is actually higher so there is not that much incentive to kind of like conserve energy or there's a greater demand or you don't adjust to that right sometimes it is important to have higher fuel prices swallow the bitter pill in the short run so that you have like some sort of structural reforms right so i think they will have to sort it out they've been very actually i've been like really surprised and i was thinking that all these IMF rollover business, etc., etc., would stop once Osama bin Laden was found there, right? And I think that was 2011 or 2012. Ten years down the line, I think they're still kicking the can down the road. I thought like Pakistan will have its own sense of crisis if like the US kind of just pulls back support. And that hasn't really happened. So right now, basically IMF is putting in conditions that yes, you can get a loan, provided you get your fiscal deficit like a little bit under control, you have a borrowing program, which is... Uh, international borrowing, I think less than 2% of GDP, etc, etc, right? There's a long list. Pakistan has not complied to everything. But now they're being forced to comply to get it. So I think eventually, always like the last minute, they always come in and somehow they pull off the Houdini Act, right? 
if uh, like I have loosely followed this. Like unlike Sri Lanka, which is actually defaulted on its debt, Pakistan hasn't defaulted on its debt yet. Somehow each time they pull the rabbit out of the hat, and while you can say that it is good in the short run, right? I fundamentally believe in the longer run, what is probably better for like average citizens of Pakistan is a default on the debt that you actually say, fine, I can't pay you back, and that money instead of paying back creditors and then rolling over each time could actually be spent on like something fundamental and like uh, also have like real structural reforms try and develop like some other industries i think the army is like a big drain on them and they're too much focused on jammu and kashmir the sad thing again now like jammu has like some lithium mines uh, one thing which i didn't mention maybe like i don't want it maybe there could be more some sort of cross border terrorism they might get a little bit more aggressive they might want to like capture that part etc etc or raise a lot of noise about it in the un etc right that uh, jammu and kashmir actually belongs to them so i think uh, those things also might come into play we don't know but uh, yeah like they've always been lurching from crisis to crisis and somehow escaping so i i've been wrong for 10 years so i'll rather just say that i expect them to get the next tranche of the loan they have like one or two weeks of like uh, fx reserves left to cover one or two weeks of imports maybe they'll always find someone to give a backstop so let's wait and watch and if not maybe they'll have like some sort of a sri lanka type mini crisis which will be contained for a short while the humanitarian impact is like very big but you know short term pain for maybe like longer term gain is maybe what they need i don't know i don't know about the local politics and how politically feasible that can be and uh, how do you think this impacts india i mean do you think that pretty soon we'll start have to i mean we'll have to start accepting refugees and so on and so forth so or? i think see india india has had this uh, uh rule for refugees for who are facing religious persecution right so maybe whenever a country goes under stress see uh, what happens is uh, any country anywhere in the world whenever you are under some economic stress people find some scapegoats and uh, maybe religion uh, will be one i think you've seen a lot of like blasphemy cases here and there they keep popping up right uh and uh, so maybe the religious minorities uh, they might be the first ones you might have some other economic refugees as well to be frank despite like pakistan being at a crisis level etc etc uh, they are just about like one third poorer than us so, like migrating to india is not really going to change anything materially right uh, we might see some of them migrate to their other border iran we might see a lot of pakistani elites migrate to like dubai or qatar in the middle east a lot of them might try to migrate to like canada australia the ones who are educated and that like leaves the hollows of the country a bit more right so uh, those things might happen i think given like the average sentiment is pretty anti india so they might not want to go to india yeah so another thing actually i would like to compare like just compare bangladesh and pakistan forget india right they were earlier a part of the same country they have like common history till like 1971 in the last 52 years like bangladesh has steadily gone ahead of them right maybe more in the last 20 years in, in the 2000s so i think that is something that they can look at and uh, do something as well all right uh, finally the news of the week is that india has won the first test of the border gavaskar series india hammered australia by an innings and 132 runs well there's something that uh, we don't say too often uh, and uh, 
In addition to vying for the Border Gavaskar Trophy, India is also looking to seal a spot in the World Test Championship final. And a win has made their road to the match starting on 7 June 2023 at the Oval. Uh, Abhishek, this is uh, this was complete domination, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, the pre-match talk was more interesting than the match itself, right? With the Australian media going completely berserk about uh, with conspiracy theories about how uh, India was uh, systematically doctoring the pitch and so on. I mean, I read some of the things uh, what Australian journalists were saying and they said, you know, that India has been continuously doctoring pitches since, I don't know, 2005 or six and so on. Uh, it read like how, uh, you know, uh, democracy, democracy rankings have been applied on India, right, to discredit Indian democracy. I mean, it was the same thing. So one exchange went like this. So someone said that, look, in Indian pitches, even Indian fast bowlers are doing well, right? So where is this uh, thing of, you know, it's only Indian spinners are dominating. So what is the basis of you saying that, you know, India is... Uh, you know, uh, doctoring pitches. So they said, no, but uh, earlier it used to be local groundsmen uh, who used to make pitches, but now BCCI has centralized it. So you have taken away the local flavor from pitches. So that is like, that's how you are sort of doctoring pitches. So basically what they are saying is that in 2004, there was this famous test in Nagpur, right, which has this infamous incident of Saurav Ganguly allegedly refusing to play because the pitch was green. So that's what they want, right? They want pitches which local curators will make to disadvantage India. I mean, it's a different thing that that pitch story was all due to, you know, local or other BCCI level politics, right? Where uh, uh, that got into play to sort of, uh, you know, screw over the Indian team at that time. So since then, of course, BCCI has sort of tried to make good quality pitches, but now it's getting, um, you know, lambasted for centralized doctoring of pitches. So it was pretty funny to see, you know, Australians. I mean, even the English Twitter cricket folks were making a fun that the English wait at least for one collapse to happen before blaming the pitches. Here people were jumping up, you know, even before the match started. So that was quite funny. So coming to the match, I think the pitch was actually a pretty standard, slow, low Indian pitch. With It was turned, but it wasn't really anything alarming, right? And a lot of the wickets actually fell to straight balls as, as it generally happens, right? And... I mean, Jadeja made a great comeback in the match with five wickets in the first innings and about 70 runs. Ashwin played bold well, especially in the second innings with a fifer. Uh, Rohit Sharma's 120 was obviously a brilliant innings in these conditions. And even Akshar Patel, who didn't have to do much with the ball, he chipped in with about 80 odd runs, right? To ensure India had a really big uh, first innings lead. And that's all that was needed, right? Uh, so, yeah, I think India's sort of three spinning all-rounders right now, right? With Jadeja, Ashwin and Akshar Patel is like a very potent combination in, in our uh, conditions, definitely. And so, yeah, it will be tough for uh, Australia to come back. But I, again, don't want to write them off. We were ourselves 
all out 36 all out uh, last time when we were there and we came back to win the series so anything is possible uh, but yeah india should be pretty tough to beat in the coming matches as well so i always had have this dilemma right which is that as a sports fan sports fan i mean i i really want the contest to be even uh, and you know uh, you know, exciting and so on and so forth. But as also someone who has seen Indian cricket through the 90s, where we lost so many matches, right? I mean, I, I'd rather they be boring, man. I mean, let it be one-sided. Yeah. Our no, way, I, so I, I want them to win no matter what. If it's a contest, it's a little more interesting. That's yeah, what. yeah, yeah. What do you guys think was the moment of the match? I mean, for me, I think Ravi Ashwin setting up that Scott Boland wicket was uh, like just fabulous stuff. I think something that... Uh, you know, I think Shane Warne would uh, be proud of, I think. I think, for me, there are a lot of, like, small moments, right? So, uh, one one key thing was that, uh, like, India kind of, like, stuck to their plans and, like, just kept applying pressure. So, first innings, Jadeja, second innings, Ashwin. Uh, like, our three all-rounders, as you mentioned. And I think you saw, like, Jadeja and Akshar Patel, like, bat like proper batsman and uh, they had everything against them so they're saying oh Ashwin is an off spinner and he's going to attack all the left handers so they are like two off spinners bowling two left handers but they played patiently they played their shots on the bad balls so it was like I think it was a calmness that you know you know you're ahead you just bat it out you just play stick to your plans and you will come out on top right so without panic it is like when like a confident player who knows he's superior Basically, turn up, do all your things, focus and like just get full, follow your process and you win it. And like Ashwin, I think he got carry out as well, reverse sweeping. I think there are a couple of like very good thought out dismissals, right? You had like Warner getting out after hitting him for two boundaries. So uh, that was like wonderful. But like I think it was all about like following your process and not panicking. All right, uh, with that, we come to the end of the Bharat Vartha Weekly for this week. Uh, we have a couple of very interesting uh, episodes lined up for next week. We have the FinTech 2.0 episode with uh, Monica Jasuja, uh, Mandar Kagade and Sumita Kale. There was uh, a fair mix of innovation, regulation, policy, um, you know, stuff around financial inclusion and so on and so forth. It was a very comprehensive discussion, very nuanced as well. Uh, so, yeah, uh, definitely check that out. Uh, we also have an interesting conversation lined up with Rishi Rajpopat, uh, who is a scholar in Cambridge. Uh, he has solved a grammatical problem uh, that has puzzled Sanskrit scholars for over two and a half thousand years. Uh, so we're going to be uh, you know, posting that episode as well uh, pretty soon. Well, if you liked the content uh, thus far, uh, don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite platforms. So more people can discover us and uh, share it with your friends and family. That would be amazing as well. Uh, for this week, uh, from Abhishek, Neerav and myself, thank you so much for joining us. Stay safe, take care and Jai Hind.